You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Romans chapter 16, we're looking at verses 16 and 17 and 18. It's on page 1009 if you're using one of those, uh, the church Bibles, it's under a seat somewhere near you. Um, Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. Also, it's in the YouVersion app, and I have put so much extra scripture in there because I'm just going to be slightly mentioning it here, but I want you to be able to study and go through that. So if you you know, want to use the, the Bible YouVersion app, there's a bunch there. Let's go ahead and read God's Word together, shall we? Romans uh, 16, starting in verses... Uh, we're just reading 17, 18, and... Just 17 and 18. Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 17. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Let's pray. Lord, please help me to communicate the message that you have contained in these words. Help us to see it. Help us to walk well in it. Protect us, Lord. Protect our, our, our sinful hearts from flattery that we love so much. Protect us from deceptions. Lord, keep, keep the unity here uh, for your glory and for our joy. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, many years ago, my wife and I had bought a house. We were excited about it. It was a, it was a house that had a lot of landscaping around it. And spring was coming, and the garden was starting to bloom and grow. There was this whole front, huge, huge front garden, uh, beautiful tree, tons and tons and tons of flowers. It was like a flower garden. But the corner of it was this small uh, edible-type garden, an herb garden in the corner. And I didn't really like the way the corner looked. I didn't like the divider that was between the, the corner of the garden and the rest of the flower garden. There was this divider that was really deep. It went down to the ground really deep. I didn't like it. So I pulled the divider out. What I did not pull out was the mint that was growing on the other side of that divider. And if you don't know anything about mint, which I didn't know anything about mint, you can probably guess from the laughter in here, the chuckles, that mint is the kind of plant that grows worse than dandelions. It goes everywhere. It will overrun any place it can. Uh, It smells nice while it's doing it, but it destroyed the whole flower garden because the whole flower garden was completely wrecked with mint because I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea, and I wasn't watchful. I wasn't aware. I think the, the text that we just read is Paul's warning to be watchful and aware so that the church in Rome would be able to protect the beautiful thing that they had. Sometimes the little headings over our, uh, over our sections of the Bible, those are called pericope headings, those little headings, uh, which, by the way, are not original to the text. They were just added by publishers. I think they can mislead us sometimes. Sometimes they're very helpful in finding things, but sometimes they mislead us because if we only read what I just read and we saw the break with the heading and all of that, we might be tempted to think that this was just sort of an afterthought that Paul had. He just said, oh, greet this person and greet that person. And what about those people? And wow, aren't we in so much unity? And isn't the body of Christ so great? And we love one another. Oh, oh, I had one more thought. I, don't, I want to make sure to get this last thought in. We might be tempted to think that, but I, I don't think that's the case. Because when we read chapter 16, 1 through 24 all together, we see that all of it 
is about the sweet and wonderful thing that this Christian community had in Jesus Christ. Wow, these people are so connected. It's wonderful. Wow, we need to protect this. This warning comes in on the heels of that, and we see that we need to protect this thing. I think Paul's warning here is perfectly placed, inspired by God, with a purpose to protect Christian community. So I'm going to look at this text with that thinking because I believe that it's a warning for the church today that still faces similar problems. I believe this is immensely helpful for us. So let's, let's read it again. Aware of the context. Greet these people. We love those people. We have all this Christian community. And then after this, hey, I've heard about how great you're doing, and here's some other people that want to greet you. Let's look at it in that framework. Verse 17. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching you learned. Avoid them because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Paul is warning the people to watch out for a specific problem. He's clearly identifying it. It's specific. They knew what it was. It's a potential problem. In the Greek, they even have the article in front of it. The divisions, the obstacles. Watch out for these things. And what were the problem? What is the problem? What was he warning them about? He was warning them about potential people who could come in and create these divisions and obstacles. He was warning them about a specific group of people. And these weren't just any division. They weren't just any obstacles. This wasn't a light thing. This wasn't um, the case where we have some brothers and sisters who have different convictions, but it's all still within Christianity. It's not that kind of a division or obstacle. He already talked about that. In Romans 14 and a little bit into 15, he already talked about what happens when we have that. It's not that. These are something very different. These divisions and obstacles are even contrary to the gospel. So this is a serious warning. These people are, are going to be seriously destructive. And unfortunately, we don't know from this text here exactly who they were. We, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us. Elsewhere, Paul names some of these bad apples. He doesn't do that here. He doesn't warn us specifically of who, but we can kind of get a sense of kind of what they were like by the methods that they used, and he tells us about them. First, they were teaching deceptive things. Deceptive things, things to trick, things to to uh, move people away. They were teaching deceptive things that are contrary to the gospel, and they were doing so with smooth talk and flattering words. Smooth talk, flattering words. And the deceptions were working well. They were choosing well-chosen words. They were saying them in, in really good ways. It made people feel good about what they were saying. It made them feel good about the speaker. Maybe it was an enjoyable thing to listen to, but if that wasn't enough, they were providing flattery, which everybody likes that flattery. That makes us feel good about ourselves, right? Their deceptive methods were flattery. Flattery. What was their motivation? Paul warned the church in Rome that these people were motivated by their appetites. Well, that is weird. Because why would they go to the church when they could just go to Chick-fil-A? Oh, because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. (laughs) Sorry, I was still pretending to be Pastor Josiah. Um, How are they motivated by their appetite? What does that mean? What does that mean? I 
believe that Paul is tapping into a major theme that runs through the Bible. Now, I'm going to ask you to hang with me here for a minute because I really got to paint the picture of this, this big theme to show you the connectivity. So let's start where we see it in John chapter 10, which is my favorite chapter of the Bible. I love John chapter 10. We're not going to go there. I'm going to summarize it, but I want to encourage you. Maybe you read John chapter 10 at lunch. And if you're familiar with John chapter 10, um, this will be helpful. If you're not, I'll try to introduce you to some of the ideas. Here's what's happening. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and, and what he's doing is actually providing some help that helps the church in Rome and helps us. And, but uh, <clears throat> Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he introduces this, this string of three illustrations or three parables. Right? He opens it with a discussion about robbers and thieves. In the first verse, uh, he says, anyone who doesn't enter by the sheep pen... Excuse me, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Okay, so they're climbing over the fence, or maybe they're digging under the fence, although it says climbs in, right? Under the fence, but they're not going through the gate. They're not going into the sheep pen the way that they were intended to because they are thieves and robbers. And then the next verse, Jesus says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So that's an interesting illustration. We've got thieves and robbers. And then in John uh, 10, verse 7, he changes to a different illustration. He switches it up because he can see that they're not understanding it. He says, okay, you didn't get it. Let me tell it to you in another way. He says, truly I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. All who came before me, excuse me, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep don't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, if we're not careful, if we don't recognize the shift, we're going to think that he's still talking about how thieves get in and how thieves steal. But he's not talking about the thieves now. He's talking about something different. What's the subject of this? The sheep. Specifically, how do they get into the flock? How do the sheep get in? You notice that? He's talking about the sheep. Those who enter through the gate will be saved. The subject is the those. Those who enter through Jesus, the gate, will be saved. Jesus is gathering a flock for himself. And he's giving this flock life and life in abundance. He's now talking about these sheep who are part of the flock. And those who came before, and also those who would come after... They're not building this flock this way. They're not coming through Jesus. It's something else. They're building for themselves some sort of flock by which they can kill and destroy. And then he sees they're still not getting it. He shifts gears again. Now he's going to give it to us a third way. It's this sheep illustration three ways. Now he starts talking about the shepherd. First the robbers, then the sheep, now the shepherd. In John 10, 11 through 13, this is what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. We have these three illustrations together. They're like three parables Together, And when we have something like this in the Bible, it's extremely important that we see the theme that's running through all three, the point that's being made from three different avenues. It's like Luke 15. Some of you might be more familiar with Luke 15. That's where we have the parable of the lost sheep. We love that one. And the parable of the lost coin. 
In the parable of the lost sons, which is often called the prodigal son, but it's about both sons who are lost. The theme with those three parables together, and they're packed there intentionally on purpose, building is about lostness. It's a theme about lostness. And it's a theme about how when something is found, there's celebration. And then those three parables are put together in such a way that after the prodigal son is found and then the other son who stayed uh, is questioned, do you want to come to the celebration? Do you want to come to the party? And then it's just left there hanging in the air for the people who are hearing, for the Pharisees, for us. It's this rhetorical question for the audience and it's begging for a response. Do you want to be found? Do you want Christ? The same thing is happening in John chapter 10. Okay, the, the theme is about being a part of Jesus' flock. And this is a theme that Jesus loves. I think it's his favorite theme during his earthly ministry and also all the things he spoke in the Old Testament and New because he loves talking about sheep and shepherds. He raises up shepherds. He uses them in remarkable ways. It is so prevalent in the Bible that when we think about church, we naturally think about the flock when we think about pastors, we naturally call them shepherds or pastor comes from. This is how prevalent it is. It's the entire point of Jesus' ministry. You can see that running through the theme. Do you want to be a part of his flock? In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus talks about leaving the one. I mean, he's leaving the 99, safe with the rest, to go after the one. He's looking for him. In Luke 19.10, he says that he came to seek and save the lost. Kind of that same picture of coming after, I'm finding in Matthew 25, he says that when he returns, the second coming, he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. Right? Those who are a part of his flock and those who aren't. These are the ones who are mine. These are the ones who are not. The, to, the, to the sheep who are part of his flock, he will say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Yay. But to the goats, he will say, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The theme is about being a part of Jesus' flock. It's pressing, it's significant, it's a huge aspect of Jesus' ministry. And not only about being in the flock, but staying in that flock where you're safe from the thieves and the wolves. How do we stay safe from the thieves and the wolves? All three parables in John 10, all three illustrations in John 10, tell us how because they all contain the similar line, a repeated line which shows us what this is all about. Some of you might know the line. Let me tell you the line. He says it multiple times. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's in all three of the illustrations. It's a vital aspect. If you miss it, you miss it all. Jesus is showing us this by three different things. Don't miss it. And then there's this huge rhetorical question kind of cooked into that whole thing. Are you, the hearer of the story, the narrative, are you part of his flock? Do you hear Jesus' voice and follow him? Now, that, what? Like, let me give it to you in a little bit more practical terms. Do you recognize the message of the Bible as the word and revelation of God? John 1.1 1, 1 says this is the word of Jesus. Jesus became. Do you? Do you hear? Do you see it? Do you go, yeah, that's definitely 
from God. Do you submit to it? Do you obey it? Do you follow it? Do you believe Jesus or not? That's the question. Do you believe it? Okay, this is how I know that that's the big question of John chapter 10. Without a doubt. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. They don't get it. They definitely don't get it. They're not in the flock, and he's given it to them three different ways. He's left the question out there hanging, and then he says this interesting thing in verse 16. John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. I have others who will hear me. They will follow me. I'm making my flock bigger. I'm growing this thing. He's saying, I'm looking for my lost sheep. They're out there. I'm coming after them. I'm looking to find them. And they will recognize my voice and they will follow me. But the Pharisees responded, and this is crazy. This is their response to what he's saying. He has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Very interesting. So a couple months go by. A couple months go by, it's now a new festival celebration. Jesus is there again. And the Pharisees are still confused by this hanging question, and they're still pressing Jesus about who he is. And they ask him, are you the Messiah, the Savior? And he says this to them. Two months later, this has been going on. You don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. They didn't hear, but God's people hear, and they're secure in that flock. That's the question that remains for us from John chapter 10. Do you hear Jesus? Do you follow him? Do you recognize that he is who he says he is and surrender yourself to trust him and obey him? following him, believing what he has to say, ordering your life by what he's set for you? That's the question. If you're in here and you're wrestling with that, trying to figure that out, I'd love to talk with you more about it. Let's chat. I'd love to help you with that. So would the little kids who know their Bibles really well that I told you was going to help you through that. Talk with somebody about it. It's important. Don't be, don't be as the Pharisees and continually pushing away from Jesus, but go through the gate. Be a part of his flock. Okay, but there's something a lot more going on here, and this is why I wanted to share this whole thing. Okay, I know that was a lot, but let me share. There's something a lot more going on that I think we miss. I I don't think we know our Bibles as well as the Pharisees. I don't think we read some of the Old Testament as much as they did or memorize those parts. So the Pharisees saw something that I think sometimes we miss. Jesus was making a crystal clear, unmistakable statement from Ezekiel 34. Okay, that was written 600 years earlier. It was one of the scrolls that had been read for 600 years in the synagogue, and the Pharisees clearly knew it. In Ezekiel 34, okay, this is where God's speaking through Ezekiel. He's condemning the shepherds of Israel, he calls them. He's condemning them. He's saying, you guys are bad shepherds. You're terrible shepherds. You're only interested in feeding yourselves. Okay, and they don't want to feed the flock, feed with God's word, care for. They want to feed on the flock. And it continually keeps talking about how they're feeding on the flock and they're feeding themselves and they only want to feed their bellies. They don't want to protect the flock. And in not protecting the flock, even the wild animals come in and feed on the flock and then scatter them. The flock is being eaten and devoured and scattered. But get this, in Ezekiel 34, God's saying, look, I'm going to take you away. I'm going to take my people away from these bad shepherds. 
so that the people won't fall prey to, to them and be eaten by them and devoured by them and be scattered. I'm going to take away the bad shepherds. I'm going to cast the bad shepherds out. And then in Ezekiel 34, 11, it says this, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. Huh. That's what Jesus was saying he was doing. Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, and you don't even see it. You're feasting on these people. I'm going to feed them and protect them. You're concerned about your appetite. When Paul told the church in Rome, Romans 16, 18, he said that such people don't serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. I believe Paul was tying into the same idea. You see, you see this? You see this? It's like that. It's this thread from, from Ezekiel 34 through John 10 to us right now in the church in Rome. I think even to us. What they say and teach is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are bad shepherds and they are not to be trusted. They feed on their victims. This is where the non-Christian comes in here and says, come on. Here we go. All you Christians are alike. You like your teachers so much and you hate all the other teachers and you make it all about what you're doing and you're right and they're wrong. That's probably why you have so many divisions in your... That's probably why you have so many denominations. Give me a break. Aren't you all just the same? I think that's fair, actually. I think that's reasonable because on the one hand, there's so much disagreement, so much infighting among who, those who call themselves Christians. There's a lot of that. Like it's bad, and it's confusing, and it's difficult, and, and I think it could cause people to be misled, and, and it could cause lots of problems. I do get it. But on the other hand, I think that's lumping everybody together. I think that's not being intellectually honest. It's stereotyping. Because... I think here's what we're seeing, three different things. Sometimes what we're seeing in all this division, infighting, whatever we might see, is people who claim to be Christians but are actually bad shepherds fighting with other bad shepherds. Okay, it's like a turf war. It's like a, you know these drug cartels fighting each other. None of them are good. It's all fighting, but none of them are good. Okay, So that's one category I think we see out there. there there's another category, I think, where we see actual Christians... Adhering to the warning right here in Romans 16, 17, and 18, and they're calling out false shepherds. They're protecting the flock by saying, whoa, hold on a second, this is false, this is bad. They're calling out the wolves. And if they didn't do that, the, the, the flock would be at great risk. And so we see some, some discussion, some argument out there this way. Then there's a third category, and sometimes this happens publicly, and, and, and I think the the broader public doesn't understand what's going on. This does play out from time to time. You see groups of Christians, actual Christians, and they're trying to get their theology sorted out, and they want to get that right. right? And they're working through it okay, to, to, to make sure that what they've got is good. The problem is some of those on the outsiders interpret that as infighting, when in fact it's maybe something a little bit different. Okay, All of these things are not the same. And we shouldn't lump them all together. I think that's not right. The wolves 
And the, the bad shepherds would love nothing more than for us to lump all those together and then tell people to stop fighting because then we won't be calling them out when they come. They can sneak in. They can do what they want to do. It's bad news. That's why Paul's warning. So yes, this, this looks difficult at times because it's necessary. But here's the good news. God provides us with a test to help figure it out. We're not just left all out flapping. We've got a test to figure this out. What's the test? You find it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 16. I'll, I'll read that to us. Jesus says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. The test here is the fruit. He's saying, inspect the fruit. And those who don't want to be inspected will say, don't judge me. Because I don't want you to see their bad fruit. Jesus says, inspect the fruit. More specifically, do they look like the teaching we see in the Bible? Do they emulate it? Do they model it? Or maybe are they about false flattery? They tickle our ears and make us feel good about ourselves. We don't even think about looking at the fruit of them because we're too busy looking at ourselves because we're so flattered. Do they look like bad shepherds or do they look like Jesus? Are they feeding and protecting the flock or are they feeding themselves from the flock? Are they feeding on the flock? Are they leading people to understand the word of God for themselves? To learn and grow so they can look? Are they pointing people to Jesus, the good shepherd? Or are they promoting their own opinions with their own smooth talking? Are they trying to get you to watch more of their videos, buy more of their products, read more of their books? Are they self-promoting their own kingdom or are they promoting the kingdom of God? Do they stand on what the Bible says or do they stand on worldly arguments, logical arguments even, or or extra-biblical ideas and thoughts? You get to inspect. You get to inspect the fruit. In fact, you get to inspect the fruit even here. I'm asking you, inspect my fruit. Inspect the fruit of Pastor Josiah, the work that we do here, the teaching that we do. Inspect what you see at Redeeming Life Church. Why would I say that? Because the Word says that's what we're supposed to do. And if you see areas that need work, let me know. We're in this thing together. I hope you would help me. But inspect. Paul's warning demands that we watch out. So it means that we expect. Because it's important. Because these individuals can get in and ruin this wonderful, beautiful thing. Now, how does Jesus combat the false shepherds once we've recognized them? How does this work? We think we got a false shepherd on our hands. How, how do we deal with that? How does the church protect against it? Okay, well, thankfully, Jesus gives us an answer in his word. He didn't leave us out here flapping. He's a good shepherd. So I showed you in Ezekiel 34, right, this promise of the good shepherd. And then we take that forward to John 10, and then we see that here in Romans. And if we keep going to Revelation, the end of the story, Jesus wrote it's a bunch of letters in the book of Revelation before he gets into the last part of it to churches. And to the church in Pergamum, in Revelation 2, 14 through 16, he says this. 
You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block, like the obstacles in Paul's letter, Romans, same stumbling, in front of the Israelites. To eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you have also taught those to hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So repent. Repent means turn back to God. You've gotten this wrong. Turn back to God. These people are teaching wrong things. Listen, otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Right now, kids are like, this got really exciting. A sword is just going to... Like Wolverine. But not like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something specific, isn't he? What's the sword of Jesus' mouth? It's his word. It's his truth. It's his authoritative spoken, proclaimed word. He is going to fight them with his word. With his powerful truth. That's what Paul was hinting at. Paul said this is what needs to happen, what's going to happen when he said the things they teach, which you need to watch out for, are contrary to the gospel. They're contrary. The church in Rome needed to be on guard. And the best way to be on guard for them and for us is to know the gospel so that we can see what's contrary to the gospel. If you don't know the original, if you don't know the truth, how are you going to measure what's false against it? That's what protects us from those who are deceptively flattering us in order to create these divisions and obstacles that are contrary to the gospel. If you're feeling very flattered, if it's all about you, make sure it measures up right with the gospel. Chances are pretty high that it probably doesn't. It's clear, clear, the problems they had in Rome did not go away. We still have these problems today, don't we? Those who are deceptively leading us away from the gospel with great flattery. These warnings are very relevant to us today. So, church, how do we protect ourselves? Like, what do we do? I have three things. First, we need to be on guard for that smooth talk, right? That's designed to deceive us. It's not to say that all the people who speak well, people who, who do this well are smooth talkers and they're all trying to deceive us, but some are smooth talkers leading us away. There is some of that when the, when the production of the message is more important than the message itself and they can easily deceive us, especially in today's world when you have so many tools and resources to make it even smoother. That's scary. We need to be on guard for that smooth talk. Okay, ask yourself, are they trying to build a crowd? Do they want followers themselves, or are they trying to build a kingdom work for Jesus? Be a fruit inspector. Right? Who are they really pointing to? Inspect it. Do they want you to follow Jesus? Or do they want you to like their social media feed, buy their books? Are they okay if you go elsewhere after they're gone and study and learn, or is it all about them? Is it all about that? I'm your guru. I'm your hero. You got to get it all from me. What do they do? Are they teaching you the whole counsel of God or just their favorite shtick that gets them on their agenda and their issue? Man, there are some preachers that will preach their entire lives on one doctrine of the Bible, never deviating and never teaching the flock anything else. What's up with that? We're called to teach the whole counsel of God. Inspect the fruit. Are they teaching you to study the word for yourself? Or are they making you dependent on what they have to say? 
If you've watched your favorite preacher, read your favorite author's books for years, and you still don't know how to read the Bible for yourself, you're reading the wrong books. You're listening to the wrong preachers. Here's one. Are they like John the Baptist, who in John 3.30 said, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease? Inspect the fruit. Second, we have to be aware of the, the, the power of flattery and what it does in our own sinful nature. Man, don't miss that. Man, we love being complimented. We love being told we're great. We love this. Our sin just feeds on me, me, me. Let's build up my kingdom. Let's see how great I am. Look at this. Social media drives itself on look at me. And so when someone else comes along and goes, hey, look at you, it's so enticing. So we have to ask, are those who are teaching us the Bible? Me, you need to ask. Me, am I, as your pastor, others who are teaching you the Bible, the books you read and the videos you watch, are they encouraging me to build my own kingdom or Jesus' kingdom? Are they encouraging me to think highly of myself or highly of Christ? Does this teaching make much of me or make much of Jesus? Is there anything in this teaching that's kind of hard to hear, but I know I need to hear it? Oh, ouch, that one hit a little close to home. Ow, it's a scalpel. Or do they never have that kind of teaching? They never have anything that's hard to hear. That's the doctor we all want to go to, right? Never tells us there's anything wrong with us until we're dead? That's not the shepherd you want. Because God's word is like a scalpel that will cut deep to cut the sin out, to work through that. If you're never hearing anything that's hard to hear, you might want to really get serious about inspecting that fruit. Am I being ticed by flattery? Because flattery is so tempting in our souls, isn't it? We need to be aware. We need to watch. We need to be on guard. Finally, and I'll end with this. We have to know the gospel. Now, there's there's kind of the gospel proper Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension. But there's the whole story of the redemption of God, which is the whole of the Bible. We've got to know them both. We've got to know them. We've got to know what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, and not just our favorite parts, all of it. We've got to dig through this thing and know, because if we don't know, what standard of measurement will we have when someone comes to tell us otherwise? We won't have a measurement. We won't have a standard. Any YouTube video or podcast or some other sermon just sounds reasonable, sounds smooth, makes me feel good about myself, can so easily draw us away when we have nothing by which to measure it against. We'll just buy the whole thing, not even know what we're buying into. We must be able to check the preacher's preaching and teaching. We have to do that for ourselves. Can you do that? Can you take what I'm preaching this morning and examine for yourselves in God's word if I'm telling you what this says? You've got to be able to do it. Please. That's why I hope you have a Bible open in your lap. That's why I hope you're reading along together. It's why we put all the scriptures in the version app so you can go back and look at them all. If you go in there today and save that thing, you can take notes. And there's a lot in there. It's why we have the the bookmark out there for free, the Bible study bookmark. Study the Bible for yourself. It's why we have morning classes and we teach how to study the Bible and we teach what the Bible says and you work through it. It's why we want to see you learning and growing and discovering. It's why we want to give you good tools 
To do this well, it's so important. That's why we give a study Bible to those who are being baptized. Nothing is more difficult for us here. And I mean this. I have water. Thank you. She choked on my own passionate spit. (laughs) I'm passionate about this because nothing is more important to us. Nothing is more meaningful to me in this ministry. Nothing is more difficult for me in this ministry than seeing people fall headlong into the obstacles and the divisions of false teachers. It pains me. It keeps me up at night. I'll give an account to the Lord for that. Not just everything that I do to teach, but everything I don't do that keeps you equipped and protected. I don't want to be a bad shepherd. Know your Bible. Please be in it. Read it. Know the gospel. Study it. Anchor yourselves in it. Celebrate it. Sing it. Share it. Because that's how you'll know Jesus, the good shepherd. Knowing Jesus is how you will know the bad shepherds. When you know the good one, the bad ones just look silly and obvious. And you know what? Knowing your Bible well, it'll bless you so much. It won't just protect you. It'll feed you. It'll nourish you. It will give you life and life in abundance. Jesus protects his church through his gospel, through his word. The gospel is the good news of our guardian, Jesus Christ, who guards our unity and our love in this Christian community and all that we have here. God's word is a protection for us so that people won't just deceive us. So let us hang on tight to the good shepherd and his word. And church, let's be watchful. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you protect and care for us. Thank you that you guide us and direct us and move us and shape us. Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper together, remind us of how good you are how wonderful the cross is and all that you've done. Remind us that you're the good shepherd. Lord, please equip us to see what you would have us to see by the truth that you've given us. And Lord, protect this little flock, please, from obstacles and divisions that would lead us contrary to the gospel. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.